Well, it's really good to be back behind this pulpit again after not preaching the last few weeks. Though it was good two weeks ago to be here and hear uh, Brett Wagner preach, and then last week to hear Merv Campbell preach. I was blessed. I had actually heard through the grapevine that somebody reached out to one of our elders after me not preaching the last several weeks, but seeing me in church the last couple and asked if I was under church discipline. <laughs> I'm not, as far as I know. Actually, the preaching schedule is determined at the very beginning of the year, and that is set out long ahead of time, and summer usually includes five to six Sundays where I'm not preaching, I'm able to spend some time with my family, I'm able to work on some projects, I'm able to focus on church ministry that way that I might otherwise not get to because I'd be preparing for a sermon. Um, I was able to help get the varsity football program going, so I'm thankful for the time, but it's always good to be back behind the pulpit. I will not be preaching next Sunday, Brett Wagner will be back, and then a few Sundays later, Greg Baltzer, one of our elders, will be preaching on Labor Day weekend, and then I'm pretty much here until next summer. So again, thank you. It's been good to have some time away, but always good to get back behind the pulpit. In 2015, James Harrison, then linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers, he came under fire for a comment that he made on social media. He let all of his followers know that he had required his two boys, who I believe were around eight and seven at the time, to return two trophies that they had recently received because they were mere participation trophies. Here's what he wrote. I came home to find out that my boys received two trophies for nothing, participation trophies, While I am very proud of my boys for everything they do and will encourage them till the day I die, these trophies will be given back until they earn a real trophy. I'm sorry I'm not sorry for believing that everything in life should be earned, and I'm not about to raise two boys to be men by making them believe that they are entitled to something just because they tried their best, because sometimes your best is not enough, and that should drive you to want to do better, not cry and whine until somebody gives you something to shut you up and keep you happy. I confirmed this last week that my own boys have received participation trophies and then thrown them away. Personally, I am with Mr. Harrison, and I think the Apostle Paul would have been with James Harrison as well, and I think that is clear from our text today. Verse 24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. So here is Paul's point in verses 24 through 27 of chapter 9. 
only winners get a trophy. So play to win. So run to win. Here is Paul's point. Don't lose. Don't be a loser. Don't be a loser in sports. Don't be a loser in life. Get on the field and stay on the field and leave it all on the field. Do not come off the field until and unless you have nothing, absolutely nothing left. That's the mentality that Paul has as he writes here. That is exactly the way Paul talks to motivate apathetic, undisciplined, aimless Christians. This is what Paul says to light a fire under soft, vacillating, restless, lazy Christians. Apparently, many of the Corinthians were content just being in the race and not actually running in the race. We might say they had become spiritually obese. They needed to forfeit rights. They needed to sacrifice pleasures and liberties. They needed to discipline themselves. They needed to say no to ungodliness. And all of that requires self-control. All of that requires great determination and hard work, which many of them were unwilling to exercise. So Paul approaches them on the bench here. He puts his finger in their face and he calls them out. Do you not know that in a race only one receives the prize? So get out there and run to win. Don't just run. Don't just participate. Don't just show up. Don't just play. Win! Victory! That's the objective. I want to brace you at the outset of this sermon. I think if you're able to really understand and apply Paul's words this morning, it is very likely you will feel crummy at some point. I know I did. It's likely you will evaluate your effort in life. You'll evaluate your effort in the Christian life and you will be found wanting, lacking. I'll be slow to counter or comfort that only because the text, this text, it is slow to counter that and comfort that. And we've got to deal with the text as it is. Speaking of hard work, let me read you a quote regarding what it means to preach. This is from the great Welsh preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones, like the undisputed best preacher of the 20th century. And he said this, preaching is 
theology coming through a man who is on fire. The chief end of preaching is to give men and women a sense of God and His presence. And that is right. Absolutely right. And it leaves me with a feeling of desperation. So will you please bow your heads with me? Our Father in heaven, enlighten our minds, ignite our hearts, and press our wills to love you more deeply and trust you more fully. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you're using one of our church Bibles, you will find today's text on page 900. I see we have visitors today. For those of you who are visiting, let me give you a bit of background. Corinth is an ancient city that sits on a narrow piece of land between southern Greece and northern Greece, or more so eastern Greece and western Greece. And in the first century, the apostle Paul, who's writing this letter, he planted a church there. He planted the church, he ministered there, and then he left. And about five years later, he's gotten word from the Corinthians, and so he writes this letter 1 Corinthians, to them in response. And this book could be divided into sections. We're currently in the middle of a section where Paul is confronting Corinthian Christians who had full heads but empty hearts. So they had no shortage of insight, but they lacked compassion. They understood their Christian liberties, but they were turning them inwardly to satisfy themselves rather than using them to love God, to love others, and to build up the church. So Paul is calling them out. He is calling them to the very hard work, the very hard work of living for God and not for themselves. He's holding them accountable, and he's holding himself up as an example. At the close of the section, in chapter 11, verse 1, he will say, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so to end this chapter, after giving instruction, Paul explains the kind of effort that it will take for any Christian wanting to be faithful. This right here, our text today, this is the kind of effort that is needed for any Christian who wants to be faithful. And so to explain the kind of effort necessary, he turns to his favorite metaphor, probably my favorite metaphor, the athletic metaphor. And so Paul is comparing the Christian life to sports. So let's begin with verse 24. We'll spend the most time on this verse because this verse is clearly the main point of these four verses. It begins with this phrase, do you not know? If you were to go through this letter and underline every time you see those words, you'd find it ten times. It's a phrase, and when Paul says, do you not know, what he means is, you should know this. We have gone over this. Do you not know that in a race... All the runners run, 
but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. So Paul was evidently a sports fan. Paul uses the athletic metaphor in several of his letters, drawing parallels between sports and the Christian life. The Corinthians were also sports fans. They were host to the Isthmian Games, which were held every two years, and second only to the Olympic Games, which were held 50 miles to the east in Athens. The games were held in A.D. 49. That would be before Paul arrived in Corinth. They happened in A.D. 51 while Paul was there, again in 53. And then in 55, which would have been right about the time when Paul is writing this letter. And in this first verse, verse 24, Paul makes a very straightforward point. He's just talking sports so far. But here is his athletic assertion. The goal of a race is to win. The goal of a game is to win. The goal is not to play. The goal is not to participate. The goal is not merely to show up. You show up, you play, you participate to win. Therefore, and here is Paul's application, which should go without saying, run to win. That's why the athlete is on the track. It's why the athlete is on the field. When you play a sport, the goal is victory. Maybe some of you don't play sports. Maybe you play board games. The goal of a board game, the key word is game. The goal of a board game is to win. The goal of a game is not togetherness. That may be something that happens. But that's not the goal of a game. The goal is not relational intimacy. The goal is not teamwork. Gosh, no. The goal is not sitting in a chair and just going through the motions. The goal is to win. My wife recently bought our son, Reed, a board game. And she sat down to play it with him. And as she scanned the instructions, she was surprised to find no section entitled The Winner. That's a bad game in our house. <laughs> so no one wants to play that game. That's a stupid game. That's not a game. It's, some, it's an activity. That's okay. It's an activity. It could be a good activity. But it's not a game. So no one wants to play it unless we change the rules. So that there's a winner. I got more of the chickens in the pen than you did. That's the game, I think. I only played it once. An athlete must be competitive. That means he must want to win. It is absolutely an imperative. An athlete must want to win. An athlete must be zealous for victory. An athlete must have his or her 
eyes on the prize. That is Paul's point in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it? Okay. So that is Paul's athletic assertion. But he's not writing this letter to men training for the Isthmian Games. That's not who he's writing this letter to. He is writing this letter to a church. He's writing to Christians. So he's taking Christians. He's taking a group of Christians and he's pointing to these athletes and saying, follow their example. That's the point of a metaphor. Be like this. This is like this. So he's writing to the Corinthians. This is for us as a church. He's saying, hey, you Christians, look at these good athletes and follow their example. Their approach to sports should be your approach to the Christian life. That's what he's saying. This runner's approach to a race should be your approach to the Christian life. So we know from our study that many of the Corinthians, they had become spiritually lazy. They were not thinking as they ought. They were not loving God as they ought. They were not loving one another as they ought. They were not spiritually disciplined. They complained. They fought with one another. They idolized their liberties. They idolized their perceived rights. They were avoiding personal sacrifice. And so Paul has been confronting them for several chapters now. And so it is at this point that he calls them off of the sideline and into the game. He's calling them out of the stands and onto the racetrack. So you this morning, Christian, you are a runner. That's what Paul is saying. If you're here today and you are a Christian, then you are a runner. You are, right now, you are in the middle of a race. You may be at the beginning, you may be in the middle, you may be nearing the end, but you, right now, you are in a race. Get thinking that way. This is what Paul wants of us. Now, the parts of this metaphor, they would have been obvious to the Corinthians because they were so absorbed in this Isthmian games culture. They may not be as obvious to us. Let's make sure that we're on the same page. If you are a Christian, you are a runner. The race that you are running is the Christian life. The gun sounded at your conversion. And the yellow tape is your very last heartbeat. And every moment in between your conversion and that last heartbeat that that body takes, every moment in between is a race. It is not a sprint. It is a marathon. It is a long and grueling race. 
and you must persevere. You must endure. You must never, ever, ever give up. And you will be tempted to give up. And you will be tempted to take your eyes off the prize. If and when you push your chest through that tape with a heart full of faith upon your death, then you will receive a trophy. You will receive a prize. You will receive a crown. Let me read a few other scriptures. A few other scriptures to load into our mind to help us understand this verse. Because we interpret these verses with other verses. You interpret the Bible with the Bible. So, listen to Matthew 10.22. And you... Christians, you will be hated by all, Jesus says, for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Not the one who shows up, not the one who participates, not the one who plays in the first quarter, not the one who makes it to halftime, not the one who makes it until the two-minute warning of the fourth quarter. The one who endures to the end will be saved. you got to persevere. You've got to make it to that finish line, and it's a marathon. It's a long, grueling race. Your legs will give out. You will have sores on the bottoms of your feet. Your heart will be pounding. You will be distracted. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, Paul had just put his finger in Timothy's face and said, you keep preaching the Word of God. Keep teaching the Word of God. There's not a more important ministry of the church than the public preaching and teaching of God's Word. And this is why Paul said it's so important, Timothy. He said the time is coming when people will not endure Sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away. That's not finishing. That's not persevering. That's not enduring. Many will turn away from listening to the truth. I don't want to hear that anymore. I don't need that anymore. My perspective has changed. I've been enlightened. I understand this differently they will turn away and stop listening to the truth and they will wander off into untruths. They'll wander off into myths. 1 Timothy 4.1 Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith. You see the racetrack. Some will they'll get off the racetrack. They will depart from the faith. By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. 2 Timothy 4, 7-8. through 8. This is Paul. These are like dying words from Paul. This is what you want to be able to say at the end of your life. If you see it coming, 
Some of us won't. But if you see it coming, you want to be able to look back on your life and talk like this, don't you, Christian? 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. I have fought the good fight. He doesn't say, I, I have strolled through the park. I have walked along the beach. I have fought the good fight. He's going to use that metaphor in a minute too. It says life was a boxing match against an opponent. And it was blow after blow after blow after blow. And here he is at the end saying, I have fought the good fight. How else does he put it? I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So what does it mean to win? What does it mean to finish the race? It means to fight the good fight. It means to keep the faith. Henceforth, because he finished the race, because he kept the faith, there is laid up for me the crown. Here's the prize. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And this isn't just for Paul. And not only to me, but also to all to all who love Jesus, to all who have loved His appearing. Then finally, 1 Peter 5, 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So, with those scriptures in mind, just lay them over what we're reading here. Christian, you must run in such a way to receive the prize. That is, you must run in such a way that you, Matthew 10, 22, endure to the very end. That you, 2 Timothy 4, 7, finish the race. That you, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4, not turn away from the truth. That you not depart from your faith in Jesus Christ, 1 Timothy 4, 1, so that one day you will stand before Jesus and receive the prize. The crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4.8. The unfading crown of glory, 1 Peter 5.4. John Calvin about these verses wrote, What the Corinthians had hitherto attained was nothing unless they steadfastly persevered, inasmuch as it is not enough to have once entered on the Lord's way if they do not strive until they reach the goal. There is no reason why anyone should feel satisfied with himself on the ground of his having once entered upon the race prescribed in the gospel unless he persevere in it until death. For God requires from us nothing more than that we press on vigorously until we reach the goal. Thus one does not hinder another, nay more. Those who run in the Christian race are mutually helpful to each other. We must therefore not become wearied after a short time like one that stops short in the middle of the race course. But instead of this, death alone must put a period to our running.
Once more, here is Paul's point. Christian, you are in a race. Run to win. When you see that athlete that you admire, that athlete that you admire because when he comes off the field, it is obvious that he has nothing left. He may even need help getting to the sideline. He has used every ounce of energy to do his very best to win. And Paul is saying, that's how you live the Christian life. And you're on the field until you die. And that's how you spend yourself. That's how you exhaust yourself. That's how you fight. That's how you persevere. That's how you endure. Let's move on to the next verses, which, again, simply elaborate this first verse. Verse 24 is made clear that we run this race of the Christian life to win. And now verses 25 through 27 now emphasize the kind of training, the kind of hard work. It gets more specific, the kind of discipline that is required. In other words, what does it look like to run to win? We're supposed to run to win. That's hard work, but what does it actually look like? So three more verses, and in them, Paul will draw attention to three more realities. Discipline, direction, and disqualification. So let's look at the first one in verse 25. Verse 25 speaks to discipline. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. The Greek word here translated as exercise is agonizome, which is related to our English word agonize, which is a clue. It means grueling effort. Grueling effort toward what? To win the prize. And it requires great, what are we told? Self-control. Can we all be honest that living the Christian life is difficult? Not living life and calling yourself a Christian I mean, actually living the Christian life, saying no to ungodliness, fighting sin. John Owen famously said, kill sin or it will be killing you. Doing the right thing, glorifying God in all that you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Even when you're discouraged, even when you're despairing. Even when you're frustrated, even in the most difficult circumstances, life is filled with trials, life is filled with temptations, life is filled with sickness and suffering. At least far from you, at some point close to you, it is very difficult. G.K. Chesterton once wrote, the Christian life 
has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. It's difficult. Running to win requires self-control in all things. An athlete understands this. He can't eat whatever he wants to eat. Not if he wants to win. He can't drink whatever he wants to drink. He says, I'm not going to eat that. He says, I'm not going to drink that. He says, I'm going to go to bed now. He says, I'm going to get out of bed now. He is disciplined. He knows how to say no. When he is training, he's not giving it 90%. He's giving it 100%. And frankly, this is what sets apart winners from losers in sports. Ultimately. Showing up requires very little discipline, like a ride from mom. Participating requires very little effort. But winning? Winning requires discipline. So Paul writes in verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. And then he says this. It's a description, isn't it, of the prize in verse 24. They do it, to these athletes, to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. He's actually referring to the trophy that a winner in the Isthmian Games would receive. If they were to win the race, they would be brought before the judge, and if they had participated and won according to the rules before all the people, they would be crowned with a wreath that was made of pine needles. And then they would be granted a victory lap. And as they took their victory lap, they would hear the roar of applause from the crowd. For the Christian who runs the race set before him, he will also one day stand before the judge. And he will be crowned with an imperishable wreath. What 1 Peter 5.4 calls the unfading crown of glory. And 2 Timothy 4.8 calls the crown of righteousness. And he will not hear the applause of a crowd as much as he will hear the approval of one. God himself. Well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Let's read a good cross-reference here. Pastor Jeff read it. If you have your Bibles open, flip to Hebrews chapter 12. This is very similar. It's one of the reasons some think that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, you can see that the, the metaphor is used here. And the image is the same. And we see... The hard work, the discipline that is required. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which so closely, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is before us, looking to Jesus 
the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Excuse me, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For those of you who are athletes here, maybe you compete now. I know we have many. Maybe you used to compete. You have the mentality of an athlete. Your approach to sports must be your approach to living a distinctly Christian life. It's made very clear to you. So here's my question for you Christians. How are you running this race? What is your level of effort? How hard are you training? How hard are you working? Are you consumed with the prize? With pressing on, persevering, enduring, straining for what lies ahead? Are you disciplined? Do you exercise self-control in all things? How are you running this morning, right now? Verse 26. Verse 26 speaks to direction. So, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. Boxing was another event held in the Isthmian Games at this time. The runner knows where the finish line is, and that's where he is headed. He doesn't run aimlessly. He doesn't, it'd be ridiculous, right? He does not chart his own course. He knows where he's supposed to go, and that is where he is headed. A boxer knows who his opponent is, and that is where he wants to land his punches. You may see him training and practicing and maybe shadow boxing, but that is not the goal. The goal is not to box shadows, to punch shadows, to be the air. The goal is to thrash his opponent, to punch his opponent. And so Paul says, I'm not running aimlessly here. I'm running, but it's not aimless. I have direction, and I'm not boxing as one beating the air. I know where I want to land every single punch. He's talking about direction. Running to win, it requires direction. You have to know where you're going. You have to keep your eyes on the finish line. What did we just read in Hebrews 12 too? As you run with endurance, the race marked out for you. Christian, where do you set your gaze, your eyes, your focus? On Jesus. On Jesus. Jesus. 
Who are you running to? Who do you desire above all else? Who makes everything worth it? It's Jesus. That's who. Direction. The finish line is crossing over from death to life into the everlasting arms of Jesus. I think it might be helpful to also point this out regarding direction. While we as Christians, we share the same finish line, right? We have the same goal. It is to finish this race. It is to endure faithfully to the end into the arms of Jesus. But your course is different than my course. Now, we've already established you can't run aimlessly and determine your own course, but God is going to give you a course to get to that finish line, and it's obviously, right, it is very different from my course. I mean, my people are different than your people. My circumstances are different than your circumstances. My trials are different from your trials. My callings are different from your callings. And Christians can get caught up wanting to run someone else's course. But that's not your course. I am a husband to Kristen. And you are not. I'm a father to Peyton and Brady and Jackson and Blaze and Avery and Reed. And I'm not a father to your children. I don't have a relationship to your children the way I have a relationship to my children. I don't have the same responsibility. I am a neighbor to Rich and Sherry and Harvey and Laura and Hank and Rena and Jerry. They're not your neighbors. I'm a pastor to this church, not a pastor to some other church or in some other state that is more conservative than this state. I'm here where God has me and where God wants me. So this is where I want to be. There have been trials in my life that will not be the trials in your life. It may not even be the same species of trial that you're going to have in your life. And some of you are going to go through things and face obstacles that I will never be able to relate to. That I would never be able to understand. We each have our own course set out for us. God has given you strengths that He hasn't given me that would be used for His glory. He has given you talents and you abilities that He hasn't given to me that are to be used for His glory from you and not from me. I don't know if you've seen the movie Chariots of Fire. A really good movie about Eric Little, the Scottish runner who ran in the 1924 Olympics in France. And There's a line in that movie he was also a missionary to China. His entire family were missionaries to China. And his sister is concerned that he's getting too caught up in running and not focusing enough on 
mission work in China. Well, he was a missionary in China before those Olympics, and then he went until his death and was a missionary after in China, dying at the young age of 42 in a Japanese internment camp. He was very committed to Jesus. But his sister was concerned because he keeps, he keeps participating in this running. I mean, he was the fastest man in the world, at least in the 100 meters. And so he has this conversation with her on a hill, and she's concerned about him and worried about him. And her vision is that this missionary work, this is more important. This is what you should be doing, not these stupid races. And he looks at her, it is a powerful line, and he was right on. And he said, God has made me fast. And I feel his pleasure when I run. It's for God. That was his course. God gave him abilities that no one else on the planet had. And I agree he would have squandered that gift had he not leveraged it to honor and glorify God. Some of you know how he leveraged it. He went on to the 1924 Olympics. He was the world favorite to win the 100 meters. But months before the Olympics, he learned that the 100-meter event was going to be on Sunday. And he declined to race. Instead of entering the race that he was pretty much guaranteed to take the gold in, he sat in church and worshiped with God's people. So he started training for the 400-meter And a few days later, they held the 400 meter, something he had not previously prepared for, and he took the gold. And he gave the glory to God. And then he went to China. And he died serving those people. He had direction, he knew his course, he knew the race that was before him, he was determined. And he disciplined himself. His eyes on the prize. Finally, verse 27. Verse 27 speaks to disqualification. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. I think... This summarizes the running to win, self-control in all things, the hard work that Paul has been describing. It's another way of saying that. I discipline my body and keep it under control. But here he gives a different motivation. He is running to win, and here are Paul's words, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So my question is, what does Paul mean by disqualified? Well, I know this. If you are disqualified, you do not get a prize. Recent years in modern American sports has been a testimony of that. If you're disqualified, You will not receive the trophy. You will not receive the prize. 
Let me read you how this same word, translated into different English words, is used in three other verses. So we get the weight of this. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail. That's the same word. Fail. You, he's writing to, professing Christian who believes you're a Christian. And yet you discover that you're not. You fail to meet the test. And then Titus 1.16 says they, also talking about wandering, professing believers, they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit. Same word. Unfit for any good work. And then finally, Hebrews 6, 8. But if it bears thorns and thistles, again, this is a professing Christian. This is someone who has been among God's people that has been singing the songs and praying the prayers and reading the Scripture and maybe even serving the saints. They've been blessed and enlightened and heard the preaching and, and, and been encouraged by believers. But if it bears thorns and thistles, in other words, there's no real fruit, it is, here's the word, worthless. And near to being cursed. And its end is to be burned. It refers to soil that had been watered and cultivated, but still bears only thorns and thistles. So that word unqualified there is translated as fail. Unfit and worthless. Paul understood this and we need to understand it. Disqualification is a reality. Not every professing Christian finishes the race. Not every professing Christian finishes the race. Not every professing Christian endures to the end. Remember the verses we read before? Some will, 2 Timothy 4.3, not endure sound teaching. Or 2 Timothy 4, 4, some will turn away from listening to truth. Or 1 Timothy 4, 1, some will depart from the faith. This happens all the time. This has happened in this church. Every once in a while it happens to a high profile Christian. Not everyone in the race finishes the race. Now in an attempt to drive this home. And to sober us up to this reality. I want you to think about who is sitting around you right now.
I want you to think about those Christians who are here today. Many of whom you know deeply. Many of whom you love deeply. The reality is that not everyone in this room who calls themselves a Christian is going to endure to the end. I hope that's not true. I hope we're an exception. But it's certainly possible. In other words, those who are standing with you now in Christ, they may not all necessarily be standing with you in the end. Have you been blindsided like this? If you haven't, it may happen at some point. You can look back at people you knew maybe only years ago. And they no longer have interest in the things of God. You think, how is that possible? Friends, don't take this for granted. The Apostle Paul was running to win. Lest after preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching, he be called a fraud and disqualified from receiving the prize. These are warnings. Christian, heed God's warnings. Paul was assured that he was a believer. He had assurance of faith, and yet he knew that he was called to persevere. His attitude was not let go and let God. He knew that he had to persevere, and he knew that these warnings were for his good. These warnings that you, Christian, you may not make it to the end. You better run to win. Because you may not persevere. If you're not diligent and disciplined and determined, you could depart from the faith. You could be taken off track. You could end your life not a believer. It has happened before. You would not be the first so run this race to win. And those warnings are part of God's means of getting you to the finish line. To jolt you out of your complacency. To jolt you out of your lukewarmness. He may have a plan. He may know that he's going to keep you and keep you and keep you. And get you through all of it. And if you truly are a believer, he will. But part of the way he gets you there is with these warnings. He says, don't take my sovereignty for granted. Don't take your presumed election for granted. You need to persevere. So he says, run 
to win. If Paul, the apostle Paul, is running to win, I need to run to win. In conclusion, the Corinthians were content with just being in the race. They'd become soft and lazy and inactive. They were not like Paul. He was willing to forfeit his rights, say no to ungodliness, sacrifice his liberties. Listen, you know the answer. What happens to the lazy athlete? He doesn't win. So Paul challenges them, and he challenges us, run to win. Do you know the race that is set out before you today? Let me ask you this. Are you in the race? Are you in the race? Have you heard the good news? Do you believe the good news? Have you received Jesus Christ as the only one who matters at the end of the day? Who has saved you from your sin? Who forgives you? Who can reconcile you to God the Father? Do you know that Jesus came and lived and suffered and died in the place of sinners like you so that sinners like you could be forgiven? Could have your sins washed clean? Could be saved, reconciled to God? Do you believe that? If you do, then I know that you love Jesus. And you're committed to Him. What are you pursuing? How are you pursuing it? How are you running your race? Some of you have been running for a long time and you're exhausted. But your race is not done. Eric Little, when asked later, how did you win that race? If he was a sprinter, 100 meters, and he ended up winning within, in world record time a race that was four times the distance. I mean, that's remarkable. How were you able to win? And this is what he said. He said, well, I, I, I run the first 200 meters as fast as I can. And then I pray, and with God's help, I run the second 200 even faster. <laughs> Some of you are in the middle of your race, and you've been running, and you are tired, and you are exhausted, and you are beat down, and there may be a lot of race left. Why not run the rest of your race even faster than you ran the first part? How is that possible? Well, with man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. How do we win this race? How can we endure? How can we persevere? I mean, how does an athlete do it? I mean, a top-tier athlete. In my opinion, it requires two things. Hard work and God-given ability. I mean, if you don't have the God-given ability, try all you want, and you may have some success, and you can work hard, but you're not going to be a top-tier athlete. God's blessed some in some ways and others in other ways. It requires God-given ability. The same is true for you as a Christian. You must run to win, and you can run to win with God-given ability.
which you have if you are in Christ. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, he's saying this is what you need to do, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let's just insert the word run. The same kind of thing he's saying. You've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, you need to run to win. And then he says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's like saying this, you need to run the race marked out for you, for it is God who runs in you. It is God who runs through you. You have been saved, Christian, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You are being saved by grace alone, and you will one day be saved finally by grace alone. We sing the song, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Through Christ in me, I can run to win. 